Thank you, young people. And thank you, student body, for your prayers. As they mentioned, we coveted them greatly as we traveled to Romania. And as they've already shared, was a great experience. I was telling the men in the ready room before our chapel uh, that this service made me a little bit more nervous than usual. Uh, and those nerves were heightened a few moments ago as I looked at Brother Shepard and said, I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm going to preach now. They took everything I was going to say, and I've already said it in the testimony. So uh, one thing for sure, that has given me confidence that what I am going to say is from the Lord and that uh, hopefully he is working in your heart today in a unique way. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and stand. We're going to read one verse, and I'd like to read it out loud all together, if you will. Mark chapter 16. We're going to read verse 15. As you're turning there, let me say, uh, as a student body, you ought to be very uh, proud of several things from this trip and the testimonies you've heard. First of all, I'd say, be proud of your pastor. Pastor Chapel. Uh, I don't think I have ever heard him preach as powerfully as he did at that conference, and the Lord used him in, in a unique way. And we ought to be thankful and proud for the fact that our pastor has that global vision and desire to see the work of God go forward around the world. Uh, as you've already heard, I'd say be proud of your, of your fellow students. Uh, they worked hard. And I'm sure this, they kind of alluded to this. They paid to be there. Uh, they paid their airfare. They paid for their meals while they were there. We did a few things to try to be nice, you know, and thank them in, in those ways. But they sacrificed to be there, and we worked them uh, very hard. And they did a fantastic job, just served the Lord with gladness. And I'd say this also, be, be proud and be thankful for your heritage. I think one of the special things for me being at that conference was shaking hands and embracing some of these pastors who were pastoring when I was there as a teenager. They're still being faithful. They're still reaching souls. They're still uh, loving souls there in Romania. And it made me thankful for the investment that many of them had in, in my life. I think of Brother Mihai. I posted a picture of, of him. And under Brother Mihai's preaching, I surrendered to ministry. It was because of that decision that I came to West Coast and because of that decision that, of course, led me to where I am today. And so looking back, I'm just incredibly thankful uh, for the men that God used in my life there in Romania. And I'd encourage you to be thoughtful, thankful, and proud of the heritage that you hold as well. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Let's read it out loud to, together. I'll read. He says, and he said unto them together, Go ye into all the world Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom today. I pray that you would use me to say what you would have me to say. And use the testimonies, the videos, and everything we've seen today to stir in our hearts what it is you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. As we prepared for uh, today, of course, a big factor in what we were sharing had to do with uh, the testimonies of being in Romania. And I think uh, as I was talking to my wife uh, when I first arrived back, one of the first things I said was, it's just amazing to me. I, I lived in Romania. I spent time there. But it's still amazing that having been here and then gone back again this time, how incredibly um, powerful a mission trip can be in changing your perspective. Uh, and changing your perspective about life, about the things that you are doing, about your priorities. Uh, I would obviously not know this personally from personal experience, but I am told that in sports, one of the most valuable exercises for improving team performance is, and strategy is to regularly review the videos of the game, especially those from a bird's eye view. There's something about being in the heat of the moment and in the game, so to speak, where you lose a little bit of perspective. You don't see necessarily what's happening all around you. And in some cases, you lose sight of the big picture. 
And so uh, this message started kind of as, you know, here are some ways that a mission trip can change your perspective. And, and there are several different titles as we were preparing and, and planning for this service. Uh, and I think the, what I want to say up front and, and where we'll really go with this entire message today for these next few minutes is just simply this. Students, the Great Commission is the big picture. The Great Commission is the big picture. We read a moment ago, uh, a moment ago, God's command, go ye therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So as, I, as we were thinking about some of these testimonies and, and some of the perspectives that were changed over these last couple weeks in this trip, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the magnitude of God's purposes. When we think about our perspective on life, a missions trip or this trip overseas now to see the work going on in another place, it changes your perspective on what God is doing in the world and the magnitude of it. I, I had the privilege of speaking to the freshmen on Sunday night and we dealt with this topic just a little bit uh, as well. But there are really two, two ways that our perspective changes with regards to the magnitude of God's work. The first of all, we, we see God's work in the world. Students, God is doing a great work in this world. He has actively been involved, as we see from cover to cover in Scripture and all through history, actively involved in seeking to redeem men and women from every tribe, every language, every people, by His grace and for His glory. And God's work is alive and well in this world. Many, of our fac many facets of our Christian life depend on this fact. We recognize Philippians 1, 6, right? We are confident of this very thing that he that hath begun a good work in you will also perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, chapter 2, 13, it says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And being on the mission field gave us the opportunity to see once again that God's work is going forward. God is at work and he is active around the world just as much as he's active right here in Lancaster, in your hometown, and other places around the world. One other unique aspect of this reality, though, is the fact that he's not necessarily waiting on any of us to do it. And as we think about the magnitude of God's will and God's work and God's purposes here on this earth, we recognize that at the end of the day, in, in the strict sense of the word, God does not need any one of us to accomplish his work in the sense that he is able in one way or another, he will find a way to do what he wants to do. But what is wonderful is that he has graciously invited us to be actively a part of what he is doing. And while he is working in the world and his chosen method, we would agree biblically, for taking the gospel to the world is in using human instrumentation, in using you and me to take the gospel to the lost. And he is graciously inviting each of us to do that. I think the most uh, real moment uh, for me on the trip where this was true and I recognized that God was at work was when I met a man named uh, Yon. His name was John in Romanian. I had noticed, well, let me say it this way, the first Monday session was probably the most stressful few moments of my life. Uh, all of a sudden, here's pastor 
we need this. There are some malfunctions with this. This needed to be differently, and did you get that? And, and, and we ha here we have this first session trying to get just this conference going, get people registered, get ready to get started. And I know the students would test this too. It was just, it was busy and it was stressful. By the time that first session was done, I just thought, you know what, you all go to lunch. I just need to sit here for a second and cry. <laughs> maybe, maybe not cry. But I certainly needed a moment just to kind of gather my thoughts, get some things set in order for the rest of the conference to make sure we were good to go. Uh, and in that moment, it was interesting, a man walked in, this man named Yon. Uh, he was obviously a janitor, kind of dressed uh, appropriately, and he, he kind of gestured to me. He's like, come over here, and, and he was whispering, really quiet, I, I didn't know. Uh, part of me felt like, is he going to ask me for money, what, what is this all about? And he signals for me to come over, and he sticks his hand out, and he, and he shakes it, and he says, Pace. And as you learn, that, that's a Christian greeting in Romania. And he said to me in the, in the conversation that would follow, he said, I'm a Christian. I work here at this hotel. Most people here aren't Christians, uh, and they, they don't like Christianity either. And he said, I was just incredibly moved when I heard you all singing in that first session. And I knew the song, and I had to come over and see what was going on. What's going on in my hotel with all these lost people where I'm hearing these Christian songs? And he peeked his head in the door and saw us singing, heard some of the preaching as often as he, as he could poke his head in. And it just reminded me and amazed me that God is at work. He's reaching people. There are people that are being saved, and he's using us uh, to impact these lives. But some of these lives had already been impacted. And it was amazing time after time, service after service. Every now and then, Jan would put, peek his head in. And sometimes I'd see him, and he would be just weeping and weeping and weeping, seeing the people, seeing, uh, hearing the worship, hearing the preaching. And it was just amazing to see what God was already doing. So the magnitude of God's purpose, God is at work in the world. The second thing uh, that, that he brings into perspective in light of the magnitude of his purpose is this, his will for your life. Now, God has a will, and he has revealed his will from cover to cover in scriptures. He's not hidden his will from you like it's some roadmap to be unearthed, and then somehow, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. There's where I'm supposed to go. He's not playing this warmer, colder game. Okay, now you're warm a little. No, no, colder, colder. Okay, you're getting there almost. And it's funny sometimes, students, how we use different methods to discern God's will. You ever, you're probably like me in this way. Uh, you have these different methods of discerning God's will. We have the, the random finger method, right? You open the Bible and whatever it says, that's what I'm going to do. And unfortunately, sometimes it's Jesus wept and other times it's Judas hanged himself. So, <laughs> you know, there's the, there's the random finger method. There's the astonishing miracle method, Right? Uh, God, if you would just do this, then I would know that I am called to, and, and you fill in the blanks, and you, you kind of expect this astonishing miracle to be the sign for God's will for your life. There's the striking coincidence. Well, he just happened to be at the coffee shop at exactly the same time that I was, and he ordered the same drink as me, even though I ordered after him, and, you know, it's a striking coincidence. It must be the will of God. You have the cast the fleece method sometimes. You have the still small voice method. You have the open door versus the closed door method as if, you know, God's will be limited to what is easy and, and open opportunity to us. All of these may have their place at different aspects and times in, in our pursuit of God's will for our lives. But one thing they have in common with us at this point in our life is they're often used as a shortcut. We're trying to shortcut 
to get to God's will, to find out what his will is for me. Now, I want you to read the text with me once again, okay? Mark 16, verse 15, just where the words of Jesus begin, ready, begin. Go ye into... Students, you've heard it a thousand times, but let me say it again. Why are you waiting for a calling when God gave you a command? Why are you limiting the will of God to a location or a vocation when you can and should be doing his will right now? Today. The requirements of the command uh, shed light on the reach of the command. If Christ had told the disciples, hey, go reach Jerusalem, go reach Judea, go reach you know, the Roman Empire, it might have been understandable that maybe that was just for them. But the, the requirement of the command, go reach the world and preach the gospel to every creature, makes it clear that that command was not just for the disciples, but it was for every single one of us. It was a command for his church to go and preach the gospel to every creature. So, yes, God's will begins with a personal relationship with, with Christ. We know that God's will is that all men would be saved. That personal relationship is a daily relationship and a daily invitation to a relationship with Christ through his word. But you cannot have a deep relationship with God in his word, look up and not be moved with compassion for the millions who have never heard the gospel. So we're sitting around as a student body at West Coast waiting, God, please show me your will. Tell me what it is you want me to do. Should I do this? Should I do it? Well, I'm not called to do this or that. And the perspective gained from this truth, the magnitude of God's will, is a recognition that it's God's will for every single one of us to be actively involved in preaching the gospel to every creature. Which leads me to the second really big category of perspective changes that happen as a result uh, of a mission trip, and that is our perspective changes with regards to the misplacement of our priorities. The misplacement of our priorities. I believe I counted uh, five opportunities I had personally on this trip to share the gospel with someone while we were traveling. Two of those instances, the people ended up being saved. Jan was uh, an example as we began talking, obviously. Uh, he had a clear testimony of faith and, and trust in Christ. But what wasn't true about any of those instances of sharing the gospel was that none of them were planned. Not a, sorry, what was true about them is that none of them were planned. Uh, we weren't necessarily in an organized soul winning activity. It wasn't like, here's some tracks, let's go out in the, in the plaza and hand out some tracks. This was the person I sat next to on the airplane on the way over. This was the waiter uh, at the restaurant where we ate on Monday night. This was the janitor from the hotel. And in every situation, it was someone that God had divinely crossed my path with during this trip. And what shocked me about that was those five opportunities of sharing the gospel were more than I had seen in my personal life and soul winning here in Lancaster for weeks, maybe months. And I love what Karen said about that a moment ago. You know, we, we isolate soul winning to Saturday to the extent that we miss the clear opportunities that God has given us every single day. So where are our misplaced priorities? First of all, we see a misplaced priority in concerning our path, our path in life. Can I tell you, students today, that God's will is not for you to get, is not to get you from college to your ministry. God's will isn't point A to point B. 
Can I shift your perspective just for a moment from the mission field of the world to the mission field of your world? It is time that we wake up and recognize that the world is the mission field, and wherever you are, God has placed you as a missionary and as an ambassador. How many of you intend to leave campus at least once while you're in college in these four years? Okay. Uh, how many of you work off campus? Let me see your hands. How many of you frequent restaurants or Walmarts or any of those kinds of places off campus ever while you're in college? Okay, good. Most of you. If you don't, you need to get out more. Okay. Can I remind you, students, that the moment you set foot off this campus, and sometimes even while you're on this campus, but especially when you leave this campus, you are entering the mission field. And God, in his divine will, has placed you in Lancaster, California, for these two, three, four years, not so that you can dream one day about doing ministry, but so that you could do ministry today. And that you could be involved in reaching people Today, I love how Oswald Chambers said, he said, the only time we will wonder where the path lies is when we are off the path. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Some of you need to wake up and realize if you're not winning souls here, now, in college, you won't win souls on the mission field. If you're not actively and compassionately praying and begging God for a vision, keeping a list and working that list and seeing people come to Christ on a regular basis, what makes you think you'll do it as a pastor? We need to recognize that we are on the mission field and it is time for us to wake up to the reality that today God has given us some divine appointments that only we are able to reach and that God is divinely placed in our path. Too often we allow, and, 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 and this is a thought I want you to, to consider for a second, we talked about the calling of God being primarily reaching people with the gospel for all of us. So if we're not careful and we relate our calling to a vocation location, we often allow the calling to get in the way of God's will for our lives. Your ministry calling does not excuse you from the directive given by our Savior to preach the gospel now, today. Well, I'm not a missionary yet. We'll start being one. I'm not a pastor yet. We'll start acting like one. It's time that we got involved in the great commission. So concerning our path, we're not going from point A to point B. We are in the ministry today. Let's get involved. Secondly, with our, with our priorities, sometimes we, sh we shift our perspective in the priority regarding God's provision. God's provision. Let me talk to you first about material wealth. Obviously, lost people do this as much as Christians do, but a trip to a third world country or at least any country where uh, perhaps the, the standard of living is different from ours can be a real uh, great opportunity to shift your perspective on wealth and on necessity in life and what you actually really need to have. And you'll hear testimonies of mission trips that help people shift their priorities maybe in uh, their finances. So let me give you a, an area where maybe our perspective is wrong with regards to God's provision in financial uh, gain and financial wealth in our lives. And that is that sometimes we treat what we have as if it's what we need, forgetting the true theology of our finances being that what is given is to be used in giving primarily for the furtherance of the gospel, right? You read the Bible, God gives so that we can give. 
God provides, God blesses some more abundantly than others, at least in terms of material wealth, not so that it can be consumed upon our own lust, but so that it can be used for the furtherance of the gospel. I, I, I read this quote the other day. I think it is attributed back to John Piper originally. But here's what it says. I do not see how we can read the New Testament, then look at two billion unevangelized people and still build another barn for ourselves. We can only justify the exorbitance of our lifestyle by ignoring the lostness of the unreached and the misery of the poor. How can we continue pursuing financial success, success in the area of wealth, continue buying more things, continue uh, uh, building more for ourselves in the terms of our possessions, and ignore the lost world around us. We ought to shift our, our perspective on material wealth to realize whatever God has given us, we ought to utilize it and give it for the purpose of missions and world evangelization. Some of you are going to come into this missions conference in two weeks and completely ignore any notion of giving and supporting missionaries, and you will be just as content to continue paying $150 a month for your phone, paying $5 a day for your coffee, and trust me, I love coffee, okay? But we're going to justify not giving to missions while we continue to accumulate these things for ourselves, and we need to shift that perspective and ask, Lord, what, do you ha what have you given me? What can I do of what you've given me? to see the gospel go forward. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a second area of God's provision that we ought to think about and change our perspective today, and that's the area of his provision of our gifts. Just like we would often relate location and vocation to the calling of God on our life, and sometimes we limit it to those things, uh, in the same way, we often would treat our gifts then as an indicator to potentially what God's calling is on our life. And, and the only problem with this is that we ignore, of course, the main calling of world evangelization. So all of a sudden, well, I'm a musician, the soul winning's for the pastors. Or all of a sudden, I'm, a, I'm an educator, that whole thing about discipleship, you know, it's, you know, it's for someone else. And, and so then we begin to dismiss the clear command and calling of God uh, on the basis of maybe our giftedness. And I was thinking about this on Sunday. Where's Chris? Chris Locker, where are you at? Are you in here today? If you are, stand up, wave your hand. I'm looking around. Okay, well, that failed, okay. <laughs> I talked to Chris on Sunday night. And uh, again, I was talking about God's will with, with the freshmen. Uh, and Chris came up with just a list of questions afterwards that he wanted to ask me. Uh, and specifically had to do with, you know, I'm, I'm newly saved, um, this is all new to me, and I, I have this passion, this desire for basketball. I love it. I, I want to pursue it, but, but I'm just not sure how that coincides then with this great calling of the Great Commission, and, and what, all, what, what am I supposed to do with that? We need to get to the point where we break down missionary work from just countries and people groups and start looking at, at missions through the categories of people. And one very difficult thing for me coming back from Romania is coming back to, of course, my vocation, if you will, of, of being a musician and a music teacher, and not struggle with the question of, is, you know, how is this related to the big picture of all of this? And, and one of the things that the Lord taught me, and I thought about with Chris as we were talking as well, is that God has uniquely gifted you in such a way that there are certain people and people groups that only you can reach. 
There are people here in Lancaster that some of you are better equipped to reach than I am. Some of you are better gifted to reach than Pastor Chapel. And as I talked to Chris, we talked about basketball, and there's, there's a reality there that there are certain people that he will have access to, opportunity with, purely by means of the gifts that God has given him, that some of us will never have the opportunity to reach. So instead of thinking, I'm the missionary to this country, and I'm going to Tibet, I'm going to Romania, I'm going to Europe, I'm going to Asia, I'm going to plant a church in Houston, some of us have to start looking at our mission field in terms of what God has gifted us with. And one, one of, of my mentors with my education has been saying something along the same lines. John, you're getting these higher degrees in music. I know it's easy to say, boy, what does that have to do with, you know, your calling and ministry? And, and they would say something like this. But John, how many people have you talked to since you started your education that are not saved and that nobody else at your ministry has ever had the opportunity to talk to? And all of a sudden, I have, you know, 12 colleagues in, in my cohort at Boston. I have the chairman of music there. All of these people that I don't think any of the administration have ever talked to in their lives, that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to reach them. That's, that's what I'm supposed to be. That's, so they're, right now, my mission field as well. Those are the people that I need to reach. And it reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 9. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I may gain the Jews, and to them that are under law as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might... Um, Gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And all this I do for what? For the gospel's sake. We need to shift our perspective about our gifts and the callings of God in our life and recognize that whatever God has placed in your hand, your background, your personality, your gifts, your resources, has a lot to do with who God wants you to reach as well. So who is it in your life that you are uniquely placed and fitted to reach right now? I love the, the, the Gospel of John where you get to the end of John and when people start following Jesus as his disciples, who do they reach first? Their family and their friends. They go and get their brothers, then they go and get their friends, and then they go... The, and it started there. Who of your family and friends, who else is reaching your family? Who else is reaching your friends? Who else is reaching your coworkers? And one, one unique... At, aspect of this trip for me in this regard was coming back and in my 10 years of serving here I might have met two Romanian families in 10 years in the past two weeks since returning from Romania I've met two families both speak Romanian both uh, have some language barrier there with regards to responding to the gospel at least in English and all of a sudden I realized John you speak Romanian and you're here in Lancaster they're my mission field right now I'm, I'm trying to reach them. I, I want to share the gospel with them. This is, uh, this is why we ought to develop our gifts. This is why we ought to pursue the giftedness, certainly, that God has given us and do so with excellence and with passion. This is what is all behind Joshua camps. I know Dr. Shetler will share a little bit about this in the weeks to come, but this is why you ought to serve at Joshua camps, because we're talking about developing our gifts and discovering our God, and we're encouraging students to take what God has given them in the way of giftedness and utilize it, leverage it for the ministry. And then the last provision is that of, of your life. Don't forget that your life is a gift. So let me ask you this. Whose kingdom are you building? Whose name are you endeavoring to make known? It's subtle, but we often get caught up in building a name for ourselves that we shirk the opportunity to be a nobody for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of making Jesus known. God's given you your life 
It is his gift to you. Your opportunities, your, your calling, the things that you will do, they're all from him. So make sure that you're using it to build his name, not yours. I said this to the freshman. Christ did not give his life for you so that you could go on living life for yourself. God's provision of your life. So I, I'm done here. I have four quick challenges for you. It, with regards to God's purposes and the magnitude of his purpose, the fact that we all need to be reaching the world that we're in, and, and, and God has gifted us uniquely and maybe placed us directly in, in contact with some people that we are to reach, and that is our mission field, and that's our mission today, right now. I just have these four challenges as we close. Number one, we need to deal with the apathy of our hearts. We need to deal with the fact that we have gone four weeks, five weeks, however many weeks have passed in the semester, we've worked that job for five weeks and we've never shared the gospel with that coworker. We need to deal with the apathy in our hearts about the fact that we can go to Walmart day after day after day and never give out a gospel track, never take time to talk to somebody that we meet. We need to deal with the fact that we're content going day after day and then, oh, Saturday, time for soul winning, and then day after day, nothing for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. You, you need to study, you need to prepare for midterms, you need to do your exams, but don't go about the normal daily routines with apathy toward the lost people that are clearly crossing your path. Share the gospel every day with everyone. Let her be, deny the attractions of the world and your flesh. You only have one life to live, students. Don't live it for yourself. Don't live it in pursuit of anything less than Jesus and his will for your life Anything less will not satisfy and will perish. Thirdly, decide then to abandon yourself and your selfish dreams. I was encouraged by a couple of freshmen who came up and said, you know, I started this semester as a one-year Bible, and, and the Lord has made it clear that uh, I'm going to continue to finish my degree uh, and go into ministry. You know, that, that's encouraging. I would dare say that there are some holding on to a selfish dream in disregard, almost as if it's your excuse not to obey the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Wherever you go, and I, I thank God for engineers, I thank God for all the different types of people that, and lives that are led by those people, but every single one of them get the sense that they have a calling on their life as well, and that they're responsible to be reaching people where they are. And I think of Brother Mark Cover, who uh, is, a, is a dear friend of our ministry and, 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 and a friend now to my father. And through a relationship that was built there, um, there are some business transactions that are taking place with a Romanian businessman in Romania who happened to be in the same place at the same time as Brother Cover, right, happened. And they met, and they are securing some plans about potentially securing a property for the church right there next door where there's room for growth now. For that church. That's a businessman with vision beyond business and making money. He, he recognizes that there is a lost world and that he is responsible to them. So decide to abandon yourself and your selfish dreams and then dedicate every aspect of your life to the mission of reaching your world for Christ. I do want you to get clear perspective that you need to be the missionary today, where you are right here in Lancaster, wherever you are every single day of your life. But Brother Shetler made a great point in the ready room that I think is fitting for, for this moment as well. Our calling is the same. We are called to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. 
What we need now, and what he pointed out in the scriptures in the, in the parable of the harvest, is he says that the, the Bible says that Jesus, that we would pray that Jesus would send forth laborers into his harvest. I want you to be soul winners today. I want you to be missionaries today. I want you to be actively involved in the Great Commission today. But I do believe that there are some of you who maybe feel that burden, who maybe sense that calling for something more than just the daily fulfilling of that command, you realize that God may be sending you somewhere, somewhere specific, not just in your pursuit of your career, but now, no, he wants me to, to go where there are 10, 12 villages with no gospel witness, where there are whole people groups. I, I spoke to missionary Zoltan Kish in Hungary as we were, he picked us up from the airport, and my question was somewhat, it was an odd question, but I was just curious his thoughts. I thought, Zoli, if there are so many young men, I guess, in Hungary, the gospel's here, the church is here, you know, how, how many more American missionaries do you really need, or, or how much should we be aiming at raising up the nationals and really moving that forward in that way? And he said, at, at the end of the day, yeah, that's part of our vision, raising up young men, but at the end of the day, we just need more workers. Like, it's, it's, it, I don't care if they're American, Australian, Korean, Chinese, we just need more workers. Uh, and his perspective was this, there's just, there's a lost world out there, and there are some places like Romania, like Hungary, like all of Europe, they just need workers. They need people who will take the Great Commission and their calling and commission to the, to the Great Commission and relocate themselves to England and do it. Relocate themselves to Romania and just do it. Relocate themselves to China and Tibet and to Africa and to all these different places and just carry out the Great Commission in those places. Is God wanting to send you from here somewhere to fulfill the Great Commission? Deal with your apathy, deny the attractions, decide to abandon yourself and dedicate every aspect of your life to fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm gonna ask the young people to come back up as we close. And uh, they're gonna sing the last song that they sang at the conference in Europe. And I'll ask you to stand and maybe go ahead and uh, uh, bow your heads and be in a spirit of prayer. This will be the invitation in a way. But I want you to think about, yes, hey, where has God placed me and am I actively involved in what God has called every Christian to do the Great Commission? Am I reaching my coworkers, my families, my friends, those bus kids? Am I showing God's compassion as I should every day? And then I want you to pray and ask, Lord, will you send me? Our hearts ought to be going into the missions conference, not am I called, but Lord, would you have me to go? Our spirit ought to be, here am I, Lord, send me, if it's your will. If it's his will, every single one of us ought to be willing after that conference or even right now today to say, I'll go. And I would encourage you, make sure you have a better reason to stay before you deny a good reason to go. So I want you to listen to the song, and this will be our invitation. If you'd like to pray, obviously feel free. The song simply is entitled, The Cause of Christ. Let this be the prayer of your heart, and then we'll be dismissed.
soul will prize regardless of the joy or trial when agonizing questions rise in jesus all my hope abides for this cause i live for this cause i more severe. 